Time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. And I'm excited for today's show because we have two inspiring women on to talk about leadership, culture, engagement, and how we can help uh, not only all of our people, but women, especially inside of our organizations. You know, I have the privilege of meeting these remarkable people through my through my work uh, inside of culture as a consultant, uh, as well as being at uh, shows and webinars. And of course, it's been a lot of virtual lately and really being exposed to their their talent, their brilliance, their intelligence. And it's really my privilege to be able to bring uh, the best of the best of those people onto this show so we can have a conversation, so we can tell stories, and hopefully provide you with some insight, uh, maybe some takeaway, something that you can use uh, in your business, in your life to get better, to maybe manage a little bit better, to be a little bit better leader, you know, that's usually the, the goal that we're always looking for is how do we get a little bit better all the time uh, as opposed to maybe some gigantic, you know, how do we completely change? It's, it's usually uh, works a little bit better when we try to get 1% better every day or 1% better this week. But anyway, so a lot of that uh, and the stories that we've heard on the show, as well as the story of, of my own career and, and my company, People G2, uh, is in my first best-selling book, The Power of Company Culture. If you would like to learn more, you can find that wherever you buy your books online. And uh, I'd love to know what you think about it. So check it out. Um, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And, you know, we, we do get a great little audience that comes in live and we appreciate you all. But we also get quite a few of you that come in after the fact that has subscribed to the podcast on iTunes, maybe iHeartRadio, uh, even gone to TalentTalkRadio.com and subscribed to Podbean. And there's lots of different ways that you can subscribe to make sure that when a new show is ready, it uh, shows up and you get that little reminder and you can take a listen even if you weren't able to listen live. We, For our live audience or those of you that are really wanting to engage with our guests uh, on, a, on a more in, intense way, we do live tweet uh, the show as we go along. So if you're listening, uh, you can follow at PeopleG2 or even look for the hashtag TalentTalk, all one word. My social media coordinator, Angela, will feed me any great questions that come in live. Uh, and after the show, we love to respond and, and engage and talk about topics uh, with anyone that uh, would like to do so. So take a look at those sort of our little top bits of wisdom, uh, links to books and profiles uh, that we like to kind of support everyone that's uh, supporting us by by listening. All right, let's talk about my guest today. My first guest will be uh, Nancy uh Michielli, uh, hopefully I'm saying that right. I'm probably not if I know myself, but we'll find out. She's a rapid transformational therapy practitioner and coach. And then we'll bring in uh, a guest who's been on the show before. She's no stranger to the program, Patty Grimm, author, speaker, trainer, coach, and women's advocate. And her and I will be doing a webinar later on this month as well. And we'll, I'm sure we'll get to talk about that. But we'll get to her after the commercial break. But let's go ahead and bring in my first guest, Nancy. Welcome to the show today. I'm very excited to be here. So uh, tell me how bad I screwed up your last name. Let's start there. Maybe you can give me the correct oh. pronunciation. <laughs> so Michelle is, but Michelle is the Italian pronunciation. So either or, uh, I'm good with it. Good, good. Well, hopefully, ho I'll probably say it three different ways. So hopefully you're good with some variations. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so why don't you tell one a little bit about yourself, uh, the work that you do, and, you know, maybe... What else might be important for us to know, you know, to kind of set up our conversation today? Sure. So 
I am a rapid transformational therapy practitioner, which means I use hypnosis in combination with coaching to help people mainly in the areas of anxiety and stress in the workplace. As well, I have 25 years of experience working as a project manager and leader in the engineering and oil and gas industry, and in my abilities to help improve myself in communication and connection with people, I'm also a certified sommelier, so I have experience in multiple different areas. Well, that's a mouthful. Hypnosis, uh, project management, engineering, and a sommelier. So I think we have a few things to talk about. That's uh, really fascinating. Uh, You know, where do you sort of spend most of your time and energy right now? So right at the moment, I'm actually still working full-time in the engineering world, uh, doing project management for a private engineering company called Patent Controls. Um, And then I balance that time doing rapid transformational therapy um, with clients and the development of my new program called Love to Be Me, helping women find that fun, flirty, and fabulous version of themselves. Well, that's fantastic. Maybe maybe we could, you know, as you're kind of doing these different things, obviously you probably have a lot of uh, impact on leaders, impact on employees. Um, you probably also get to see and and observe what great leaders do, right? What great employees do. What is your maybe key belief then around, you know, what makes great leaders and employees? So one of the things that I truly believe that everybody intends to show up to work to try and perform at their best. And as leaders, our job is to help them remove the roadblocks so that they can perform at their best. Unfortunately, though, there tends to at times be lots of roadblocks in the way corporate structure works that prevent sometimes employees from doing their best and leads to then people having increased stress and anxiety. And, you know, COVID is a really good example of how Um, we all had to change the way we had to do work really, really rapidly, right? And and so as leaders, our job is to help kind of facilitate our employees through that so that they can perform at the best. You know, uh, this is one of the things that I love about Scrum and Agile is these little, the daily sprint meetings we have. And they're 15 minutes or less, and you only ask three questions. You know, what did you do yesterday? What are you going to do today? And the most important question where I find I can actually be valuable to my people on a regular basis is what are your obstacles, right? When we share our obstacles, then we can all work to help them, you know, change them and to, to, to deal with them or sometimes just to empathize with them. There may be nothing we can do, but at least we can provide our support and empathy for them. So I sort of love that idea that you brought here that, you know, people do want to show up and do their best work. And often as leaders, what we need to do is, you know, move mountains for them or clear away the rubble and uh, find ways to, to help them. And so, sometimes it's so silly, like help them get their computer fixed, maybe pull a project off of their lap for a week so they can really dive in and get other work done. I mean, sometimes it's just they need 10 minutes to, to, to complain and to vent to you. I mean, it, it really runs the gamut. But the more I find I do, I'm doing those things, the, the quicker we move, the, the better my team moves, and the happier they seem to be. Is that Does that sort of align with what, where you were going with that? Yeah, that's exactly um, what I believe. If um, And I, when I'm running big projects, I will do the same thing, and I call it my five-minute meeting. And it's kind of like, and what I try and get my team to do is also focus on what is the one task that you're going to accomplish today, as opposed to, like, Sometimes we have these long lists of things that we need to do. If you can complete something fully from start to finish, that takes it off the list and helps move things as well faster and more efficiently. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So maybe um, maybe we should kind of talk then about alignment. I mean, we, we can go in all these different directions and we can talk about different tasks and we can, you know, as leaders, we can help people, but often they need to sort of be uh, you know, align on what's the most important thing. Where, where do we go first? What needs to be done? What's the most important tasks? And how, how big are those tasks that we're trying to do? You know, are there are there important things that we should be thinking about beyond procedures and, and when we're, we're looking at these sort of track, uh, task-driven activities? Yeah, so this is um, really where I started to discover how people function at their best. 
So many years ago, I was running a turnaround um, in one of a uh, large oil and gas company. And typically, you would take 18 months to plan this turnaround. Well, I had about four months, and we're going to have a 1,000 people working for us. And we brought in a company, and I believe they're called AP Networks or AT Networks, who assess whether your company is ready to go for a turnaround. And for those people who don't work in the oil and gas or petrochemical industry, it's really when we take the plant, shut it down, bring all the maintenance workers in, they pull it all apart, clean it all out, kind of like taking your car for uh, an oil change or its regular overhaul and bringing it back. So in just a very massive scale. And I, the reason I only had four months to plan this is um, I was new to the role and it was, and we had just come out of some other big turnarounds and so our company really hadn't had enough time to put this preparation together. So what I did, um, I was re recommended to hire this company, AP Networks, and what they do is they assess two different features. They assess all of your tasks, your procedures, your standards, your if everything is prepared and documented. And then what they do is they assess employees' alignment against those procedures and standards. And so they gave us a rating that was like, 50% pretty much of our ability to achieve, which meant in the oil and gas industry, we were going to probably be about a million dollars every day of uh, additional spend that we were not on time. And they were predicting it to be eight to 10 days. And so I said to them, I'm like, okay, I don't have enough time to write everything down. What can I do? And they said, if you can get team alignment, you may be able to bring it up. And so what I did was I planned and coordinated an entire day with all of the different leaders, foremen who were going to be working that. And we spent one day, so eight hours of bringing everybody together, and we just focused on alignment. What were the key priorities we need to do? What were the key processes? And how as a team were we going to work together? We were able then to bring that outage five million under budget and perfectly on time, which proved to me the concept that alignment and that when you give people the opportunity and the challenge, regardless of having all of the details written down, you can achieve amazing results. Yeah, and, and that is a, a fantastic story. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard from leaders when they do these types of things, how they've been able to save money or come in under budget or maybe have uh, increased sales or performance. And it's amazing how when we do you know the, the the right sort of I almost it's almost like making you know adjusting a lever right and then that's more metaphorical but we make these small adjustments that are really really impactful and and the results that they have and yet it's often sometimes so hard to get organizations to think about making changes to their teams or their cultures or their approach instead they'd rather buy some new software they'd rather do some new new hip training or whatever and often it's just it's a human change for us to, to have those better results. So that's a, it's a really great story. Uh, I mean, $5 million into budgets is, is huge. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is really huge on, on a $30 million project where you're wow. burning about a million dollars a day. So it's very quick. Right. And, and, you know, when I, after that outage was done, and this is kind of what led me to understanding people better and having more fun at work is I would walk down down the street or I would be at another oil refinery doing work and I would actually have like pipe fitters or carpenters stop me and say and tell me how much fun that project was to be on how they enjoyed that work how they love to show up and how they would gladly work on another event like that again. And, you know, when you get people who think that their job is fun and that they get to use their creativity, their energy, it's really, really amazing what they will do for you in the future, not just in that present moment. Right. 
Well, uh, you know, today's show is really centered around recognizing uh, the strength of women and and the the abilities inside the workplace and trying to shine a light on, you know, where we can where we can all do better uh, in helping our our leaders inside organizations and our employees. And I know you have this uh, sort of believe there's this importance on this concept of feminine energy and before anybody takes it maybe in a different direction or defines it themselves maybe you could kind of tell us what you think that means and so we have the right framework here so i have this philosophy of being a little less feminist and a little more feminine and what that means is that both men and women have uh, both masculine and feminine energy in them. So masculine energy are things like clarity, about um, driving tasks, very outward driving processes, where feminine energy more comes from the areas of creativity, intuition, and starting to trust those feelings inside of us that often we kind of push down. And I find that women in the organization try to be more masculine in their work and try very hard to follow typical historical corporate structures of we need procedures, we need planning, we need all of these very outgoing things. But because we're female, we actually have a lot of really good creativity and intuition in us. And learning to trust ourselves as women and bringing our feminine confidence and supporting each other in that process is really, really helpful. Because as a female, one of the things that I've experienced is not that men have stopped me from being successful. It's that other women feel very, very uncomfortable when I use things like intuition, like nurturing a team, like creativity, as opposed to driving from process and procedures and technical tasks. So do you uh, sort of advocate for for women to take those, I guess that so that the feminine energy that you you define there and to do that more? Or do you think that everyone, men and women, should be trying to use that part of there? Because you kind of you mentioned we all have a little bit of both. So is it that we all should be thinking about that? Or is that just a sort of a female only focus for that definition? For me, I believe that everybody should think about it with a little bit of a caveat. I think women, because it is more natural and more intuitive for us as females to use it, if we don't start to use it, it's hard for us to help set that alignment with men and also get that respect with men. I find often as women, and this is kind of where I say be a little less feminist, and I know some women will probably really dislike that but feminist is really the act of kind of fighting using masculine energy to get more say salary or to get more opportunities in life but i my personal experience is that i am more successful if i use more the feminine energy than the masculine energy of of driving and and task um, driven. But I find it's really, really uncomfortable for women to use it. Men who are very charismatic use a lot of feminine energy in their process. And some very, very good male leaders already do it. They just don't aren't aware that that's necessarily their feminine energy coming out. Right, right. And we certainly see lots of examples. Um, I, and I think it goes back to you know, recognizing who you are, what your strengths are, and and using those to to be the best version of you, as opposed to fitting into some box or fitting into some uh, something you think other people want from you. I mean, that, that's that's sort of what I'm I, I, I'm taking from this as you know, not being a woman, but just that you know, there's that we have those energies, we have those things that we are good at, and we should be trying to trying to drive them as as well as we can. Um, you know, beyond the individual perspective, though, then how does that kind of translate into, you know, being a leader and helping the overall team uh, perform at their best? So that's where I think it's really, really important to allow team members 
to understand where their strengths are. And um, Dr. Martin Seligman, the kind of father of, of positive psychology, describes this, that we should work more from our strengths. And so as a leader, I think it's really, really important to help people understand what their strengths are, and potentially adjust things in the team. I even believe this is true in leadership roles. Like sometimes we say this is the job description, and therefore you need to do all of these tasks. But sometimes maybe it's better to move one of those activities to some other position and switch an activity for that other position to the position that uh, this other person has because of their strengths and their ability to get it done better and more efficiently and enjoy it and just be in love with coming into work to do what they do really, really well. Right, absolutely. And and that's, I think, really the uh, the crux of, of great leadership is when we can do what we're, we, we do well, we focus on our strengths and that we continue to have our people focus on their strengths. And even if they were really good at one thing. That does not mean we should suddenly try to start forcing them to do everything else. You know, we, we burn our A players out by, well, you're really, really good at these three things. You must clearly be good at this fourth thing. Can you go do that for me? And they generally will say yes. Uh, they generally will accept. And then they disappoint or they get really burned out because it takes so much effort for them to continue that that level of being really, really good because, they're you know, it's maybe not a, an area of strengths for them. So I think the, the more we can kind of put people in those positions, it seems like they do much, much better. I know you talked a little bit about hypnosis and your coaching. I want to make sure we talk about that for a moment. Um, what, what, what are some of the things you're doing there to help people? So one of the things that I do, and I find this really fascinating with rapid transformational therapy, is uh, assume you've got an employee who's really struggling. Like maybe they there's just some habit or they're, they're really struggling that's preventing them to maybe either perform really well in the role that they're in, maybe interact with people. One of the things that rapid transformational therapy does is this is a 90-minute session where we use hypnosis, and I take that person back to understand what some of those blocks are. And a lot of times, those blocks have happened when they were children. And it's really, really amazing to me, especially when I work with a lot of women, how there are certain things where they won't speak up or they're afraid of even public speaking because of fears of rejection, fears of being judged. And it's amazing how many of these things relate to something when they were really, really young. And so we clear those blocks because when you look at things from an adult view, of things that have happened in your childhood, you can go, you know what, that doesn't make sense anymore. But you don't necessarily know that it's there because it's sitting back in your subconscious. And then I work to rewire their brain with the vision that they want. So it's a really amazing tool to help have someone overcome things that are causing stress and anxiety in their life or performance issues and then depending on the client, I may then work with them with some coaching techniques to be able to apply these new methodologies into their um, success that they want in life or their opportunities to work better with people. And it's amazing how quickly people can transform when I do the RTT and hypnosis session instead of just standard coaching or just standard sending them off for psychotherapy or any of those other beliefs and behaviors. So it's a really quick, rapid way to help people overcome these issues. Well, Nancy, it's been uh, terribly uh, uh, fascinating to, to hear all the different things that you're involved in and your perspectives. We probably could talk for another two hours or so much we didn't even get to talk about. So maybe we can have you come back at some point and give us an update and we can pick up where we left sure. off. But I want to make sure that we... Uh, give you the opportunity to uh, let everyone know how they can find you, how what's the best way for them to interact with you if they're interested in your work. Uh, so give us your contact details or wherever it's the best place for people to reach out. So um, a couple of best places to reach out is uh, my website at nancymichellecoaching.com. I also have a podcast called Love to Be Me, 
And uh, Instagram is where I spend most of my time posting information and fun stuff on how to utilize your feminine energy. And for anyone who is, uh, you know, challenged when it comes to names, it's Nancy, traditionally spelled, but the last name is spelled M-I-C-H-I-E-L-I, in case you want to try to find her website. Hopefully you can reach out. And again, Nancy, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you very much for having me. All right, we'll bring our second guest in, Patty Graham, just after this quick commercial break. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news? Or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. My next guest will be Patty Grimm. She's an author, speaker, trainer, coach, and if that wasn't enough, a woman's advocate. Patty and I will also be uh, hosting a webinar together later on this month. So if you're interested in learning more, you can uh, check us out on LinkedIn. You can go to my website, uh, chrisdyer.com, um, and find it there in the resources section. Uh, we're doing resiliency, agility, and grit, three critical skills to embrace change and thrive. And I'm sure we'll be talking more about all of that here very quickly. Don't forget you can uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, uh, you can go to talenttalkradio.com and also subscribe there as well through Podbean. That way you can make sure that you don't miss an episode and that you can go back and re-listen to anyone who maybe caught your caught your ear. So, um, Patty, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Chris. Great to hear from you today. Yeah, it's great to have you back on. And don't forget, we will be live tweeting this, so you can follow at PeopleG2 and the hashtag Talent Talk, and we'll put the, the best pieces of advice that Patty throws at us today uh, out there. So... Uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself beyond what I talked about and, uh, you know, maybe what you think uh, we sh- what, what we should be talking about today. Well, hi. Thanks, Chris. Um, so I actually am living out in Rancho Mirage, California, where today it is down to 107 degrees. Down to 107 degrees. Down. Um, and so down, too. It was 121 uh, a couple Saturdays ago. So anyway, it's a nice, beautiful, sunny day out here. So I am someone who is really dedicating my life to my mission, which is to empower women and girls to be the best they can be in any endeavor they choose. I had an amazing corporate life. I worked for some amazing corporations. I was a vice president of a California bank at age 28 as one of the first vice presidents for this California bank. Had my own company for a number of years, uh, had an amazing career at Microsoft for 15 years, traveled the world, actually lived in Singapore and ran the Asia-Pacific Customer Partner Experience Team for Microsoft for three years. Uh, and then I had a, a, a time I was at Johnson & Johnson as head of their executive development and leadership programs. And so now I have my own company again, and I'm really dedicating my life to making sure that women and girls achieve pay parity before the year 2277. Well, that's a long time away. <laughs> how do, that's how do we a really, that gap? That's a really, really long time away. And so I think people would be surprised to really hear that we still need to kick that glass ceiling. We really need to stop kissing the glass ceiling, and we need to crack that thing forever. Um, just some of the interesting things of that women's pay has gone up 1% in the last decade that women still earn between 64 cents and 79 cents on a dollar, depending on their race. Women of color obviously earn less. Uh, Caucasian women tend to earn about 79 cents for the same job where men earn a dollar. We still have environments and workplaces that aren't inclusive, not just of women, but also other minorities and other diverse groups as well. And so it sort of is a roller effect that what impacts women impacts people of color impacts other individuals as well. And here was the real shocker for me recently, Chris. 
There's still 13 states in the U.S. that have not ratified the Equal Rights Amendment from 1970s. Yeah. That was supposed to guarantee women the right to equal pay, and several states are actually fighting it at the moment. So we have a, we've come a long way, as the old saying, you come a long way, baby, but we've got a really long way to go. And so I'm really dedicating my life to empowering women and creating organizations where women and people of all colors, all races, all backgrounds, all religions can thrive. Yeah, and, and you know, I think you kind of started us off in the right spot, which was, you know, it, it often takes... You know, there's several parts of how, how do we create social change? How do we, you know, help one group reach uh, equality? And and there's always a lot of arguments about this, but you know, we need we need leadership inside of the business world. You know, we need uh, probably advocacy by people, you know, demanding that. And then also is that help by government? And to your point, I mean, there's states that have not done what they're supposed to do or are actively fighting it. Um, yet there are some good examples. There are states like California where, you know, maybe they uh, they they've actually said, you know, you have to do that kind of stuff, or you have to stop asking for, for for pay. Because I think a lot of this problem was women were already being paid lower. So then when they went to the next job, they next job said, well, what were you getting paid before? We'll give you a little bit more. But you know, so they were all they weren't saying, well, what do we pay for this position, right? Men or woman aside, what do we pay for this position? And said they were well, and, and you know, they're trying to trying to balance their books are trying to be as profitable as they can but that's not really the fault of women if they came in already down there so is there another place that we ought to be thinking about change is there, did i leave an area out that we could be using to drive this i think there is i mean one of the other progressive things that california did and i'll also talk about the prime minister for new zealand and some action she's just taken recently but california also passed a, a an amendment a law that said uh, that all companies in California that are publicly traded must have 20% of their board be women. Because it really starts at the board. If you look at the board, and I was working with uh, Senator Hannah Jackson out of Northern California to get the initiative of putting 20% of women on the board of, of major California companies. I was working with Senator Hannah Jackson, and she has a term she uses for the male legislatures, uh, and she calls them male, pale, and stale. So when your whole board looks the same, it kind of mirrors through the company that you know, everybody seems to look the same, act the same, think the same. And in today's world, when innovation is critical, and nothing proved this more than what's happened recently with the COVID crisis, where innovation is absolutely critical to a company's success, that you need to have a diverse board, a diverse executive suite, and diversity all the way through the organization so that you can pivot faster and make faster decisions. I mean, there are even some organizations where it may not be men versus women or minorities versus men. It may be certainly that everybody in a particular organization, everybody went to the same grad school. So they make certain decisions certain ways, and that sameness in companies is really the kiss of death today. Absolutely, and I did my webinar last month. It was on, you know, how, how do we try to be better allies for, for those people inside organizations, uh, whether it be focused on the Black Lives Matter movement right now or, or for women specifically. And that's one of the things that I sort of, I shared in, in my part of that webinar, which was the diversity of thought is the most beneficial yeah. thing I think we, that a business gets out of uh, changing how we inter pay and interact with and bring in different types of people in our organizations. There are certainly benefits for those individuals, but if you want to look at it from a business standpoint, what do they get out of it? Well, they get much better ideas. They get much faster moving teams and projects because you don't have that stale thinking that this is just how we do it, or there's only three options. Instead, you know, now you might have 10 or 12 different ways we could think about attacking an issue and, and getting better as an organization so you're you're absolutely right and uh, you know there, there's so there's so much benefit and so much good out there for each of the different stakeholders uh in this scenario that it it, it still baffles me a little bit that we are so far so far behind um you know how, how did you get so passionate about this topic and what's really driven you to to, to be an advocate for for women for as long as you have it, it's funny because it actually dates back to the 90s when I was in banking and I started, when I worked at the bank, I started these 
conferences I would hold on Saturdays, and at that time banks weren't open on Saturdays. So I would bus in, fly in, drive in, have women from all over the state of California come together for these Saturday conferences, and I would pay them overtime to come in for these conferences about, at the time empowerment wasn't the term, but about confidence and being motivated and being inspiring. And so it really went way back to that. But it really hit me hard when I was working at Microsoft and I literally went from being a rock star on the fast track to success. I was put on the executive potential program to literally hitting rock bottom because I was working so hard and so many hours and I was trying to fit into everybody else's mold for me. I was trying to be that strong, and I was that strong, confident woman leader, but I was trying to please everybody around me and be uh, almost like a puppet where you'll know, go right patty, go left patty, go right patty, and it almost literally killed me to a point I was sitting in front of a doctor who said, if you don't take care of yourself and take time off, you'll be dead in six months. So I took four months off and then went back to Microsoft after I kind of went through all of my recovery and all of that. And I really realized what I wanted to do is I wanted to help other women either avoid the kind of fall that I got into, where I gave up who I was, what was important to me, my strengths, my talent, my talk, and handed it over to someone else and let them control my destiny, how I could help other, one other woman either avoid that kind of fall or stop her fall sooner before they hit rock bottom so they can recover from it, which is part of our talk next week about resiliency and agility. Uh, you know, how do you bounce back from that adversity, which I did. I bounced back higher than ever. I spent three years interviewing over 3,200 men and women leaders on what makes great women leaders. And I really put that into practice, into the book, and that's how I just have kind of continued to refine that and dedicate my life to this. Well, that's fantastic, and, uh, and I'm sure there's probably so many people out there that learned and, and appreciate everything they got from, from what you were doing back then and what you continue to do now. You know, maybe what, what, are, some of the, what are some of the current stats that we're, we're dealing with? I mean, if maybe people don't understand the, the, the complexity and the, and the deepness of this problem of where the, the state of women are in the workplace. I mean, you, you mentioned some of those, you know, it's going to take... To, the number was un, 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 probably unrepeatable. It was so bad. Are there other types of stats and other things that we should be thinking about? Well, what's interesting is IBM literally just came out with a new report at the end of July on the current state of women inequality in the workplace and pay parity. And they mirrored that all the studies that are out there that shows it'll take between the year 2,250, still a long time, and 2,277 yeah. for women to achieve pay parity at the pace we're going to today. And I truly believe that we owe it to this generation of people, women, our daughters, our sisters, our nieces, our aunts, whoever, to leave this world a better place and to make that happen a lot quicker. Now, what's interesting is that, um, and I've cited this a couple times on my LinkedIn and Facebook pages, that when you look at the places where leadership is being the strongest during this COVID crisis, many of them are being led by women. And one person who's being uh, held up a lot is the woman who runs New Zealand, where she tackled the COVID crisis. Before that even happened, they had a major earthquake in the capital that devastated the capital, was able to recover from that. They had a major uh, shooting. She immediately banned assault rifles the COVID crisis is completely contained, and she also just passed an initiative that she promised in 2017 when she took office, that all people, regardless of their gender, their race, their background, whether they're indigenous people in New Zealand or whether they happen to be whatever race they are, that everybody will be paid equal based on their, you know, based on the job, not whether they're a man, woman, whether they happen to be Samoan or of any particular race, color, religion, or background. To right. me, that's true leadership. And the thing that's interesting from the study is they say a lot of the companies are putting lip service. They're putting you know, lipstick on a pig, the old saying. They're kind of putting together some, some employee resource groups or some groups to get together and bond as a, as a, as a, as a diverse women or a minority, but there's no teeth behind it. It's just sort of a facade and that those organizations that have more women and have that diversity of thought are 25% more profitable 
have 23% higher revenue growth, have 67% higher employee engagement because they're taking specific action to make equality for women and diversity inclusion for everybody a real business strategic initiative with goals and objectives and KPIs uh, and everything behind it. They're putting teeth behind it. So what are some of the things maybe organizations should stop doing right away, maybe that they're doing wrong right now, if they really want to try to get better at this, if they want to make this more than, like as you said, just putting lipstick on the pig, if they want to enact real change, are there some things they should immediately stop doing? They should immediately, um, I think you and I have both spoken at Disrupt HR at one point in time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one one of the disrupt HRs I did was talking about this idea of diversity and inclusion, and that we may need to take a look at all of our HR policies, procedures, our hiring, our promotions, our job descriptions, and we we may want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right? There's always don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We may want to start from scratch and really look for those with a fresh eye and ask people who come from different backgrounds to really look at those and say, does this sound like this is an inclusive job description? Are my promotion policies really going to make sure that I promote the best quality candidate, regardless of gender, race, background, religion? Instead of some of the things that show the IBM study that companies are making a mistake on, is they're creating programs without any teeth. Right, mm-hmm. so they they really are putting lipstick on the pig. They're trusting managers to do the right thing versus holding cat managers accountable for doing the right thing. You know, they're offering, which is great, workshops on unconscious bias, but it's a checkbox activity. How many people sat through this one hour, two hour required course that everybody had to take on? diversity and inclusion or unconscious bias? Are there specific measurable things in the strategic initiatives tied to creating that diverse and diversity of thought environment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, are they yeah. just simply, you know, a checkbox we put everybody through training or is it embedded into your policies and procedures? You know, one of the things that we've talked about is uh, this idea is, well, what if what if leaders were compensated or given bonuses mm-hmm. based based on goals around this, right? As opposed to it just being this side project, right? Where leaders, it's nice and you talk about it and, and all of that, but you know, maybe we have to get a little bit more, we have to have more teeth into this. Maybe we need to say, this organization is going to hire 200 more people this year. This is our goal, and if we can meet that goal, then you're going to get your bonus. And if we don't meet that goal and we end up hiring just a bunch of people that are just like who we have here right now, guess what, leader one and two and three? You're just you're not going to get a bonus this time. Uh, and exactly. how that might, you know, that and that has to come from the top. But it's that kind of change, I think, in the, the effect that and in the approach that would really have a bold impact, in my opinion, on, on really changing the organization in the right way. And, and I will again say that I... I'm always advocating for diversity of thought. So it's not just saying, well, we need more uh, men or women or we need more of this race or, or, or that. It's about getting people different because you could you can still end up with what looks to be very different people. And they all come from the same schools. They all come from the same you know thought. They were all from the same city, whatever it may be. It's more than just it look looking differently. It's really about that thought and that. They often go hand in hand, but not necessarily. You can hire a whole bunch of people from, you know, one or two Ivy League schools and get kind of the same thinking, right? Or hire everyone yep. from from one particular city, and th- and and so, I, I you know, I, it's it, it's a challenge. But I'm wondering if you other other things we ought to be thinking about doing to really motivate that you know, down down the line in the organization to get them to to really help us reach these goals. I, I, you know, Chris, I couldn't agree more in terms of tying it to the strategic, actual strategic initiatives with goals and objectives tied to compensation. Way back when, when I worked at the bank, m- people were being promoted based on what they did. Did they accomplish their goals and not on any way in how they accomplished their goals? So if they accomplished their goals by doing things that were borderline 
probably not the right thing to do, they would still get their compensation, they would still get promoted, and they'd still get recognized. So we need to change that to where people are compensated on what they do, but also how they do it. And I think if it's tied to compensation of a manager about how inclusive their workforce is, how high their employee engagement is, how high their customer satisfaction is, equally to how they make their number, then I think we have a very, very different place. We actually did that at Microsoft as well. We called it the what and the how. And so people were very much held accountable for 50% of their bonus came from employee inclusion, satisfaction, and customer satisfaction, and 50% came for your numbers. And there were many managers who were demoted or removed from a position who had over two years of a, a cycle of having those numbers go down, even if they met their business objectives. And I think that will start to change it. And I also ask people, regardless of who you are, man, woman, whatever background you are, there's probably a time in your life when you felt excluded, right? Maybe you didn't fit in with that group because you played tennis and they all played golf, or they all went to USC and you happened to go to UCLA, or they happened to be from a different group from you. And I want people to really emotionally, mentally, and physically remember what it felt like to be excluded. What happened and how did that impact on you? And why in the world would you pass that feeling on to anybody else? Right. Why would you why would, do, why would do that? We do that? But you know, I think it's often we feel, maybe we don't mean to, but we, we feel connected to people who think like us, who act like us, who look like us. And so we run over to that group and then... Uh, everyone else feels unwelcome. And so maybe we're not yeah. intending to do it, but if we're not actively thinking about it, this is, this is sort of like with, uh, I love to talk about cognitive biases. You know, there's all these things that we're doing all the time that are screwing us up, and yet we do them all the time because they feel good, right? They, they, they tell us a story. They help us make decisions quickly, even if they're the wrong decisions. And so is it about being more aware or is it, you know, making sure we're thinking about people in that way? I mean, what's the, what's the solution? It's, it's about being more aware and being even more aware of the circumstances and things around us. How often is this pretty typical of, I want to say, people in California on the West Coast. A lot of times we'll say, hey, guys, where do you want to, you know, what do you want to do today? We'll use terms like, hey, guys, mm -hmm. versus hey, team. And I do mean, we call I, that out when it's inappropriate? Right. I've been trying to stop saying "Hey guys" for like three years, and everyone says it in California. It's like it's like "Hey dude" or it's you know "Hey y'all," <laughs> you know, it's a thing, and yet everyone's saying it. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I shouldn't be saying that, especially not my work it, contact. It, 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 as soon as you say it, it's like, okay, that thought bubble. I didn't mean it to come. "Hey y'all" is actually better and neutral right. over right. <laughs> over "Hey guys." But so, and if you see something inappropriate whether you're a leader or not, or you, may, you might be in HR, do you say something when someone makes a joke or makes a comment that's a little bit maybe not appropriate? I mean, even little things we say like, oh, that joke was off color. That mm -hmm. could be offensive to people of color. Right. I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of leaders say, wouldn't we get back to work? Well, haven't people been working harder than ever during the COVID crisis? Shouldn't we be right. saying when we get back to the workplace? So right. being so conscious, aware of the words around you, and then really putting programs in place with teeth beyond mentorship. Create programs where you create sponsorships, where a senior leader, man or whomever, actually sponsors someone who's different from them. Mm -hmm. And sponsors them in a way that they'll actually help get that person promoted within the company. It's pretty typical. The research still shows that men are promoted on potential. He has the potential to be a CFO. And women are promoted based on performance. And I'll share yeah. a story about a, a Chinese male, male friend in just a second. So we have to prove that we're ready for that assistant CFO level job or that smaller CFO level job in a smaller division in order to get that next bigger one based on the fact that we've already performed. When I was writing my book, I was sharing with a colleague, uh, Rick Wong, who was a vice president at Microsoft and a good friend of mine. And I was sharing with him my book about how I always felt as a woman 
or women feel they have to work 150% to get noticed, to get a seat at the table, to get our voice heard. We had to work 150% to be eligible for that promotion. If the job required 10 characteristics and we had nine, were we really ready? But a man has four, applies and gets it. And he said to me, Patty, as a Chinese man, I feel the exact same way. Right. Well, we have a lot of work to do, and I'm hoping that it does not take until, I think, 2,777 or whatever horrible year you mentioned <laughs> earlier for there to be equality and, and better pay for women. But we all can do our part. We can call call out things when we see them and find to find ways to make it better inside of our own organizations. We, we can't cure the, the, the ills of society as a whole, but we can make a difference right now, right away inside our own organization and our own reach and our own network. I think everyone's just got to get, got to try. So um, how yep. can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more? Uh, and we got to wrap it up here. I'm getting the, getting the cut it off signal from Paul. So uh, real quick, Patty, how can people get a hold of you if they're, if they want to work with you? Um, they could email me directly at pattygrimmatlive.com, and that's P-A-T-T-I-E-G-R-I-M-M at L-I-V-E dot com. If they email me, I've got a few free things that I'll send them, including how to write a personal vision. But I, I want to just leave with one thought, if Paul doesn't mind. Um, Go for it. I want people to remember that when she rises or when they fall, he does not have to fall. That there's, if we all work together, we could make inclusive workplaces where women and people of color and minorities not only get a seat at the table, they have a voice at the table. Well, I can't agree with you more, Patty. And I'm really excited about connecting with you. And we can do our webinar together August 19th, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Reach out to one of us and we can get you the link to the uh, webinar to sign up and get you on there. And then, uh, Patty, I look forward to having you come back. You're always a great guest, so thank you for being a part of the show today. Thanks, Chris, and have a super fantastic day to all. All right, thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully you've learned something you can use in your own career in a positive way. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.